1: I'm Chuck Olmstead. We're with the Widows Project, and our guest is Glennis Pearson. She's the Senior Connections Director at Bethany Assembly. Glennis, welcome to the Widows Project. Thank you, Chuck. Yeah, well, you and I have known each other for a little while now and met each other, but I haven't really had a chance to hear your story. And uh, so I think our listeners today would like to get a little bit to, uh, more to know you. And uh, I always like to ask the question, because stories usually start at the beginning. Are you a Northwest girl?
2: I am. I was uh, born in Port Townsend, but I mostly grew up in this little tiny town called Lyman, Washington, on the way to the North Cascades. <laughs> really? Lyman? Where Lyman. in the world is Lyman? Well, it's about nine miles east of Cedro Bully, in case you've heard of that. Mm-hmm. And many people have. For Historical reasons. <laughs> right. Well, Cedar Woolley on Highway 9 going northbound? Highway 20. Highway
1: 20. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so east of there. on. That's right. Wow. So uh,
2: high school years, where did you go to high school? Well, certainly not in Lyman. We only had elementary there, <laughs> uh-huh. but I went to high school in Cedar Woolley. uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So let's fast forward and, and talk a little bit about um, uh, your life and, and, uh, and uh, g- grew up in that area. How did
2: you meet your husband? Well, I met Dave at uh, Northwest University back then. It was called Northwest College, but uh, now it's Northwest University, and uh, that's where we became acquainted and fell in love and uh, got married.
1: Interesting. So
2: what, uh, what transpired after that? Did he become a pastor? Yes, uh, yes, he did. He was a pastor, and our first church was in Marble Mount, Washington, which is uh also way up in the North cascades. uh Having grown up in Lyman, I thought, oh, I never, ever want to move any further. Uh, east. I only wanted to go towards the city. Well, you don't say never, you know. <laughs> that just doesn't work. No, so, anyway, not when you're in the pastorate. <laughs> no, not at all, but it was a wonderful beginning to uh-huh. be in Marble Mount for our first uh, assignment, and we loved the people, and uh, we were there and for about two and a half years, and it was a wonderful experience. I'm so thankful for it. It was a great start to ministry. Yeah. So what happened after uh, Marble Month? Then we moved over to the Olympic Peninsula to Silverdale, mm-hmm. and uh, we were there for a number of years and uh, enjoyed it there. Every place we went, we loved. Mm-hmm. It had special meaning to us and still has special friends associated with those areas. Yeah. Tell me about Dave. Dave. Oh, my. <laughs> How long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> Dave is a, was a uh, quiet yet very strong person, a man of extreme integrity and uh, loved people, loved God and, his wor- and the word of God, loved to share it with people. And, um, but he also loved to do construction. And so he uh, everywhere we went, it, they weren't large churches, uh, which was fine you know every uh, we had great opportunities, but there was always there were always projects that he could do our first at our first church uh, that had some smoke damage and so of course he, he knew what to do. You know, he could fix all that. And uh, and then our second church, we um, he built a, uh, built a church building, a, a new new facility. And actually, did that in our uh, third church as well. He built a brand new facility. And uh, so he did a lot of construction. He, he enjoyed sports and loved to be active. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. talented man. Very. There, it was, that was really one of the harder things when I became a widow, is having to have somebody else do stuff because he could fix everything. Mm. And to, I felt so vulnerable and so uh, afraid to call somebody. I thought, Lord, can you just send him down to do this project, <laughs> <laughs> you know, help him to fix this? But you know, I had to call on other people to uh, to help me with those kinds of things because he always he could just do everything. Yeah, from the car to the house to you know just agree. you
1: know i kind of have a special affinity for guys that are like that in the sense of i have a tremendous amount of respect for pastors who are um you know who study long and hard and and they're 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 a teaching pastor and all of that sort of thing and and but yet the the men who do physical work oftentimes that's when they have a chance to think they're think they're thinking while they're doing and exactly and so uh, and there's kind of a um, uh, that's kind of a special uh, man that does that and out of that work that physical labor comes the message that the Lord gives to them I'm, I, I imagine he's he uh, he studied a lot of sermons while he was building.
2: Oh, I'm sure he had a lot of good illustrations, <laughs> but uh, yes, he did. He, he, you know, he was like I said, he was a quiet man. He was a deep thinker, and he loved to uh, to talk about theology and talk about God's word. It was uh, he really did enjoy that a mm-hmm. lot, and uh, you know, he, and he just um, just exemplified that in his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the children, with our kids, he was a wonderful dad, and of course, an amazing husband. I, could, the Lord, knew what He was doing when He brought us together. Yeah, we were able to uh, complement one another, and we just uh, we're, we were we were a team. Mm-hmm. We were a team. So, uh, Dave passed away how long ago? November eighteenth of twenty fourteen. So it's, it's been, been four years. Four years. Mm-hmm.
1: And so was it a, a long illness or what what, what happened
2: well in uh, June of 2013 he was diagnosed with um, stage four uh, lung cancer that mm-hmm. had already metastasized to other parts of his body and the um, oncologist told us from the beginning that it was incurable but they would give him uh, do all they could to give him as high a quality of his life for of life for as long as they could. And they did exactly that.
1: When the oncologist said that to you in that first initial meeting, um, what was the response from Dave and then from you?
2: Well, we both, um, we wanted them to be straight with us. We didn't want them to paint a fancy picture of any kind. We wanted to know exactly where we were. And that was another kind of, you know, Shoot character- it straight, yeah. yeah. Give it to me Characteristic of Dave, he, mm-hmm. you know, he shot it straight, and he wanted other people to shoot straight with him. Um, naturally, you were. It was like a punch, you know, in the gut. But yet, at the same time, our first—I think our first responses from both of us was, "Well, this is a journey that the Lord has called us to." And while we've gone through a lot of things in our lives in ministry, uh, now it's time to be on the other end of of what we've told other people and Mm. walked that journey with so many people through our lives. So now it's our turn. Yeah. And we knew the Lord was going to be with us and we knew others were going to stand along beside us too. Another choice that we made immediately was, um, well, I I shouldn't say immediately. Maybe it was just a little bit to just to digest because it was such a shock. But we decided though that um, we knew how important uh, community was to us and how it had been to others, so we chose to um, bring others along with us on the journey.
1: Because so many times, people, uh, when they're in that situation, they might share the facts of what you are going through, but they don't open you don't they don't open their hearts to others because,
2: for whatever reason, right? Well, it's a very vulnerable time. Hmm. Very vulnerable. And probably one of the harder things for Davis, as the the cancer progressed was having to see other people do what he normally would have done. Mm -hmm. That was very difficult for him to not be able to do some of the physical things, you know, to have to see someone else help me with something. But um, yet he knew it had to be that Mm -hmm. way. And so he... He chose to make the best of it, you know, and show great appreciation to those who did. But uh,
1: because oftentimes uh, in that situation, since they, uh, since you, the friend or the community couldn't do, they can certainly pray. But the reality is that gave them the privilege of ministering to him, didn't
2: it? It really it did. gave
1: them the opportunity to do something when there wasn't really anything else that they could do but do that thing, whether it was lawn or. Clean the windows, or whatever it is that they're helping with.
2: Exactly, and uh, our daughter was very helpful along that line too, because it was it was hard to at, to let people in in that regard. And she would say, uh, "Well, Mom, uh, wouldn't you do that for one of your friends?" And I said, "Well, of course." She says, "Well, then now it's your turn to let them do it for you and Dad." And um, we had to agree that yes, you know, she was right. And she'd seen it happen many, many times throughout being raised in a pastor's home, all we did. Or it wouldn't have mattered, I think, whether we were in pastoral ministry or whether we had just been doing a secular job. That's just the core of who we were mm-hmm. the kind of person. And so it was time then for us to allow others to minister to us in that regard. It was tough. But what a—oh, my, what a— how God brought people at just the right time is just a, a whole story in and of itself.
1: Well, it helped model how others should manage end-of-life situations in so many ways. They learned, didn't they? they I think by, so. by you modeling that, by Dave modeling that, that they are able to see this is, the, this is how it can be where there's faith in the Lord, there's the practical issues of life. That's right. And uh, you let them peek into the window a little bit.
2: That's a good thought, peeking into the window. I hadn't <laughs> thought of it that way before, but so true, so true. Yeah. But again, that's a big choice. It
1: is, because many, even strong believers, will not let that happen. Because th- that is a vulnerability. They're going to see your lives, absolutely, and they're going to see your pain. Mm-hmm. And you let them see your pain, and recognizing that it's not an issue of whether you have enough faith or not. But you're letting them in.
2: That's right. And I was able to, the Lord just helped me to be able to write uh, during that time to, uh, uh, I guess now we would call it a blog, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, I just, we compiled a, uh, we called it our prayer army. And we just would send, I would send out updates right along. And uh, the Lord just helped me to each time to have a word to Emphasized throughout whatever I was sending. And uh, it, that was another way that the Lord helped us to invite others in. And the responses from those who knew the Lord and from those who did not was absolutely overwhelming. It was a tool I think the Lord gave us at that time to be able to communicate so that you just can't answer every phone call. You can't answer every email personally. But that was allowed us as a way to Communicate and to bring others along the journey, and um, they appreciated it, and it meant a ton to us. Mm-hmm. Knowing that we, in a moment's notice, we had somebody immediately praying or um, standing alongside us in thought, and oh my, yeah. the strength that you re- we received from that was just powerful.
1: As a couple, as you're going down this journey that you had never gone down before, personally, maybe you've helped others go through it. Exactly. What kind of conversations were you able to have in those private moments?
2: Oh, my. Um, yeah, that was a tough one sometimes. Um, one thing Dave did say, though, from the very onset, says we don't want this to um, define us. We want to live life as full as we can. We don't want to just talk about the cancer. We don't want to just talk about, you know, what we're experiencing but we want to continue to live our life as full and as with as much energy and as with as much anticipation and excitement as we possibly can, so we tried not to talk about um, it all the time mm-hmm. because it would be easy to do that because you're so overwhelmed by it. But he would say um, or I would say to him, "Well, what do you think about?" what if this or that? And he would say, let's not borrow from tomorrow what we don't have to borrow from tomorrow. We have enough for today. Let's just... Let's just live in the moment to a point. did we plan? Oh, absolutely, we did, And uh, he was a planner. He was not a out of the hip pocket kind of a guy. he He had focus, he had goals, he had direction but um, but there came a time though when I said, "Okay, honey, we really do need to talk about some serious stuff here because he's the one who took care of all the finances and the books and stuff, and I was more than happy for him to do that. trust me, but um And I think that was uh, kind of a defining time, too, because we knew that, you know, the months and months were marching on. And while he was still feeling good, I wanted to know uh, how, you know, some of the things that I should know about the vehicle and about, uh, you know, the financial pieces. And so I just made a spreadsheet and we just worked through all of that. That was that was kind of hard for him. Mm. It really was it was hard for him to uh he felt i think like he was relinquishing mm-hmm. some of what he had always done for fifty years because we were married for fifty years and um but yet it was the process we needed to do, unlike some who don't ever talk about any of those kinds of things, and then it, then the you know passing happens, and they're just lost, totally lost. Yeah, And you feel that way anyway to a point, but at least you have that backup because you know you had already had those conversations.
1: While we're sitting here talking, I'm thinking, for those of us that know the Lord, if you're the one that's in that situation like Dave was, in in many ways there's probably more of a fear for him, not of him dying, but of what is going to happen to you after he's gone. Because, and maybe that's not true for him, but I, you think... I know where I'm going and I know exactly. who my father is. I know who uh, my destiny is going to be in heaven, but I'm leaving behind someone who I love deeply and I don't know what's going to happen to them. I'm, I'm going to have to entrust them into the loving hands of Jesus, mm-hmm. but they're just going to have to deal with the results. I get to move on to a, a glorious place, but exactly. they're staying
2: behind. Mm-hmm. That's got to be kind of a tough reality to, to, to process through. And I think that probably was very tough for him. um you know he says it's not like you said, it's not concern of where he's going to spend eternity. That was no question whatsoever, but it's was the process mm-hmm. it's that process of having to just little by little see things change yeah and but yet he you know wanted to help me to be prepared too and um and I found though that I was assimilating more than i thought that i was at the time i would hear his phone conversations talking to you know different people in the in, you know insurance car stuff you know just just life in general and there were times i would catch myself saying some of the exact after he passed and, ha- and then i had to deal with these things i was finding myself using the same kind of conversation that he would use you know mm-hmm. and i thought oh, thank you lord for helping me to uh, be kind of like by osmosis to some point, you know, assimilating some of that stuff because he knew, the Lord knew that I was going to need to know some of those things. Were there things that I didn't know what, have a clue what to do about? Absolutely. But, you know, I tell people, I guess I didn't make too many mistakes because I haven't been in jail yet. So, (laughs) you know, I understand. And I'm sure that, I've also said that he's probably looking down at me and say, way to go, honey. Good job. (laughs) Or he's also saying, sometimes, what was she thinking? Yeah, you know? of so. course.
1: <laughs> when he passed, what uh, what what were some of the things that occurred? Uh, obviously, you have to take care of funerals and all of those sorts of things. Uh, tell me about that transition.
2: Well, that was, um, they talk about widow's brain. And it was kind of like, you need to be, just point me in the direction and I'll go there, but I'm not sure that I really know what I'm doing. You're just, you're, you think you're prepared because you know it's inevitable, it's going to happen, but you're never really prepared for that final mm. moment, you know, when the doctor tells you, um, you know, your husband will never leave the hospital alive because it's going, that's just the way it's going. Mm. But, um, and of course, tears galore, but uh, but there's strength in family and friends who rallied. Um, but, you know, I can still remember coming home from the the hospital, realizing that I was coming home alone. I mean, I had my family, you know, my children, and we were there, and my grandchildren and so forth. But um, it was not the same. I was coming home, mm-hmm. a single person, a widow. And that word did not, I did not like that word. It was terrible to even think that that was me. Um, as we were home and just uh, trying to process, knowing we had to make some decisions. And our pastor and his wife came and uh, the doorbell rang and it was uh, one of my dear friends that came, that had gone to the hospital because she hadn't heard yet, hadn't been able to make those phone calls. And uh, she came and um, she was just there. God sent, it was like an angel because she was something, somebody that I needed to see and that um, she was there to help with all of the, uh, with some of the arrangements and the planning, because she's a, just an amazing um, planner, an organizer, and a floral arranger. I mean, she just she's just one of those kind of people that you have in your life, and uh, she was there for a little while to and just help, you know. Helped with starting off those planning processes. And then the Lord had also put another person in my life. Everybody needs a Joan in their life. Uh, we had been friends. We would worked together. She had been my admin uh, at, at uh, the church um, for a number of years. And we were just very dear friends. And she always told me, she says, you know, I'm only a phone call away. Because they were in Arizona and, uh, at the time. And... Uh, there came a time when I said, "Okay, Joan, it's time for you to come now," and she came and bless her husband's heart. Every husband couldn't wouldn't do this, but he knew that how important that was for me because he cared for me too. And uh, she came, and she was probably there a month um, before he, before Dave passed, and walked that journey with us. And uh, she'd been to many of the appointments with us. She wrote down. While we could listen and pay attention to what the doctor was saying, she could write. She was taking notes, Uh and she would write down so we would know exactly what was being said. She was there to go with us to the. With my, my kids love her too, just like part of her family. She was there to, um, go to the, uh, take care of the funeral Mm -hmm. arrangements and the um, you know his remains and all of that and uh, I don't know how the Lord just brought her. It's like an angel. She's Mm -hmm. still a very dear friend and always will be like a sister to me. And, um, but she was there to help us with all of that process. And, uh, but it's, yeah, it's, it's like, you're like in a fog when it happens. And that first, even that first year, it's just so, it's just something you've never experienced. It's hard to really explain. You just, um, you know, you're going to make it and you're going to Things are going to come together as they should, but it's those angels that God sends our way that are gifts, true, totally gifts from the Lord. Yeah.
1: Well, I hear your story about your family and friends and also know that there are widows and widowers who, whether it's because of damaged relationships or issues in their own life where they don't have those people. That's right. And uh, they haven't been able to process like you were able to, and so uh, um, talk to me about the widows project and the desire to minister to folks like yourself that have gone through it and have had that support, and others who haven't had that support.
2: Well, that's a a, a great, a great statement, Chuck. Um, the widows project and. Um, about that and how it all came to be, and how um, I became a part of that. Um, actually, Roland came to BCA, Bethany Christian Assembly, where I attend and I'm part of the staff there, uh, just wondering if we had anything there for widows. Well, it so happened that it was a day that I only worked part time, so it was a day that I was in the office. And they said, well, as a matter of fact, we do. We have Glennis, who leads a group called a Circle of Friends, and that's for widows. And I started that about uh, a few months after Dave passed away, because I figured there are a lot of widows out there, because it's a large church. And um, they made it, and what they experienced could help me, and then in turn we could help others and so when i when he came well, um he explained more to me about it uh, uh, explained more about the widow's project um and that was that was several months hence you know afterwards um but it was um i just thought at first i was a little skeptical of course you know mm-hmm. you know something brand new you know and what their what their philosophy of ministry was what their do they really um you know what, what is it all about cuz you know i had never heard of it before so he proceeded to uh explain to me what his vision was, and how you know the his was to reach out to the widowed and even though it's called the widow's project, it's for not only just the widows but widowers alike and um so I thought, well, you know that resonated too, because certainly the men grieve just <laughs> you know it's just as painful for them as it is for the uh, when it's the female but um so, I read over the materials and and everything, and then a few months later he came back and you know to see if uh, if there would be anything that that I would you know like to you know he invited us to be a part of it mm-hmm. you know and there were there were activities and so uh you know I promoted it within the circle of friends and um you know some of them were able to participate and then several months later, then he invited me to be a part of the board and uh to represent the widow and uh I thought. At first, I well, I don't need one more thing to do. I'm just a very active, busy person. and I. But I just in my heart felt like this could be something very important that I could be a part of. Because even when I started the Circle of Friends group, my heart was that it was not just for our own church, that it would have a greater... Um, circumference of people that it would include. People from other churches, people from no church. I didn't care. I just knew that as a widow, we got it. We mm-hmm. understood what the other ones were going through, and so we wanted to embrace that, and we wanted to involve and include them. So I thought, well, you know, this this is something that could be a, a united effort here, where you know, um, our circle of friends could not only help the Widows Project, the Widows Project could do things to help you know the circle of friends as well and that's the way it's turned out to be a very uh, very great uh, working relationship uh, with the two and uh just grateful that the, the lord knew
0: mm-hmm. all along you know mm-hmm.
2: He he's known all along that the purpose of life it doesn't end whenever your spouse passes there's still purpose in life
1: you know, you and I just finished a meeting, um, a kind of a business directory uh, circle meeting, and um, <clears throat> there were people of various ages there. There are some that are past 70 and others that are probably in their mid-30s that were attending this meeting. I was, um, I was uh, very much affected by the fact that all of them had a story, and all of them have been affected by grief, even if it wasn't a spouse, if it was a mother or a grandmother, yet there was a definite grief that you could sense as they were telling their story. So this affects not only just the spouse, but it affects the family and extended family members, doesn't it?
2: Oh, most definitely, most definitely. Um, and as far as like my, I have two children and they're they're married and have families of their own and they've each, they have have each, um, one been affected by, by Dave's passing in, um, in a different, in different ways. Not all, you know, as you know, grief is a process. Everybody goes through it differently. And, um, and for each one, it's been, uh, been a journey, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm grateful that they all know the Lord. And so that part helps them because they do have certainly their faith to draw on too. But they also have one another and their circle of friends.
1: Well, Glenis, uh if someone once is listening to this, and we never know who is hearing uh, this uh this conversation uh, over the course of time, if they want to reach out to you and find out more about the, the Circle of Friends mm-hmm. or
2: uh, how could they reach out to you? Is there a website that they can go to to learn more about it? Or Yes, mm-hmm. certainly um, com slash women and uh, then it would be under Circle of Friends. They could find it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Or they could email me at uh, glennisp at bcachurch.com, and that's G-L-E-N-I-C-E, P as in Pearson, um, at bcachurch.com.
1: Well, thank you for sharing your story with us today on The Widows Project.
2: Thank you for
0: having me.